0: Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. Uh, in the study that I'm doing tonight, Wednesday nights I've been doing uh, uh, more topical studies and there's a great, great debate amongst pastors and theologians and, and whatnot. You know, what is the best way to teach the Bible to the church? What is the best way for you to approach Scripture and teach Scripture from the pulpit so that people will grow in their knowledge of Christ? Uh, Do you do expositional sermons where you of the Bible? Do you do more topical studies? I mean, my approach has kind of been mixed, I guess, because for a while now on Wednesday nights, I've been doing a more topical study using the creeds and confessions to talk about very important subjects of Scripture. But then on when, uh, Sunday morning, uh, I do more expositional, going through, um, you know, taking a Scripture and, and pulling from that what God teaches us. But another debate about, you know, is, uh, is this, how do you approach Scripture and what are the subjects that you approach uh, with Scripture? What is the emphasis that you put upon it? What are the subjects that you you touch upon? Because a a lot of the debate that I've seen has, and especially in our day and age, has gone, it's one extreme or, or, or the other. Because there are some people on one side who say, you know what? The only thing you need to preach and teach on is the love of God. That's all you need to teach and preach on. So go in scripture, find all the scriptures about the love of God and then that's what what you uh, teach from. But when you do that, you avoid the hard topics that are in there. I mean, you're you're skipping out on things. You're not talking about sin. You're not talking about hell. You're not talking uh, about uh, judgment because according to them, well, that's offensive. We don't want to offend people. Of course, my answer is, I mean, if you're offended by truth, I don't think truth is the problem. Something else is the problem. But uh, you know, so that's, that's one extreme because I mean, no doubt now I'm not saying the Bible doesn't talk about love. Praise the Lord, the Bible talks about love. God loves us. But if you focus in on that love, to the detriment of you know, missing everything else. I mean, you're missing out on a lot of the Bible and you're actually missing out on a very important aspect of God's love. The fact that he loves us in spite of our sin and it caused him to act. But then, you know so that's kind of one extreme, but then on the other hand, you have those who preach on nothing else but sin and judgment and hell and they never mention God's love, and His mercy, and His grace. And and so, you know, very legalistic. So, you know, on the one hand, you might call those folks, I mean, you know, we use the word woke, that probably has a lot, very broad category now, but soft preaching. The second category we normally call fire and brimstone, and maybe, you know, very legalistic. But the problem is, you can't just focus in on one subject and then leave out the rest because then you're not getting a full picture of what the Bible says. You're not getting a full picture of what the Word of God paints. And it not only affects the way we preach, I think it affects a lot of Christendom and what they believe about God and how they look at God because a lot of people, we. I mean, we see it out there. They only want to concentrate and, and think about one aspect of God. And so they'll say, you know what? I'm only going to concentrate on the fact that God is love. And because God is love, that means it doesn't matter how I live. It doesn't matter how I act. It doesn't matter how I do. It doesn't matter what I say. doesn't even matter what I believe because God is love. I mean, this God of love would never punish anyone. I mean, this God of love would never have created a hell. This God of love would never actually expect anything from me. And so, you know, you have people who, well, that's all I'm gonna concentrate on. And then, you know what? All the rest of this stuff that's in the Bible, we're gonna skip it, we're gonna throw it out, we're gonna cut it out, we're just gonna miss it. But then, you know, then there's Those kind of on the other extreme, well, God is just a vengeful, angry God, and it's practically impossible for anyone to be saved and go to heaven. You have to look at the whole council of scripture. And when you look at the whole council of scripture, it gives you a more nuanced uh, approach and idea of who God is and what it is that he has done. God has revealed himself is love, I mean, God is love. But God also has revealed that he hates sin because he is holy. Bible tells us there is a heaven. The Bible also tells us there is a hell. And to try and redact scripture, to try and cut out parts of scripture, to ignore the parts of Scripture that we say that we don't like, we do so to our own detriment because we will not fully understand God that way. So we've, it's been a while. Man, it's been a lot of Wednesday nights since have been here, other than doing VBS and stuff, huh? I've been looking at creeds and confessions which summarize biblical teachings that are very important to our faith. I'm, on the, I'm talking about the subject of God himself tonight. I use, I've been using um, a particular cr- uh, confession, the 1689 London Confession, just to have a springboard to work with, and the Westminster Confession kind of piggybacks on, on that, or it might be vice versa, but we're Baptists, so I use a Baptist Confession. And these confessions, as best as they can, they try and summarize scriptural teaching. And so with the subject of God, I mean, it does what it can to summarize God's nature and aspects and character. I mean, obviously God is a huge subject, but I I think that the confession, finding the balance, finding the, trying to paint the entire picture of how God has revealed himself in scripture. And and so I wanna read what, uh, you know, the, the, the confession says about um, God and then, you know, kind of springboard from there about a particular subject. But this is what the, the London Baptist Confession says about God, the Lord our God is one, the only living and true God. He is self-existent and infinite in being and perfection. His essence cannot be understood by anyone but Him. He has a perfectly pure spirit he is invisible and has no body, parts are changeable emotions. He alone has immortality, dwelling in light that no one can approach. He is unchangeable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, in every way infinite, absolutely holy, perfectly wise, wholly free, completely absolute. He works all things according to the counsel of his own unchangeable and completely righteous will for his own glory. He is most loving, gracious, merciful, and patient. He overflows with goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. He rewards those who seek him diligently. At the same time, he is perfectly just and terrifying in his judgments. He hates all sin and will certainly not clear the guilty. And so tonight I wanna focus in on those last five or, or so sentences because the whole lot is packed in there. It says that he is most loving, gracious, merciful, and patient. He overflows with goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. He rewards those who seek him diligently. Amen, hallelujah, we say, yeah. We wanna hold on to that. And those are truths. Those are scriptural truths. But we also must see that in light of what it says the, what it says the rest of the way at the same time he is perfectly just and he is terrifying in his judgments he hates all sin. Wait a minute you mean he hates my sin? yeah he hates my sin too he hates your sin he hates my sin he hates all sin and he will not clear the guilty now someone who reads that, who might be looking at it from the outside, we'll say unbelievers, uh, those who are not Christian, those whose minds have not been enlightened by truth, they might look at those sentences and think, well, first off, they probably think we're crazy, because those things seem to be contradictory. They seem to be completely contradictory. They wonder, okay, how can you say that God is loving, which He is, but he's also terrifying in his judgments. How do those connect? You say that he's merciful, but he's also just? How can those both be true at the same time? Well, that's how God revealed himself. God, over time, as he progressed with his revelation of himself, He revealed himself to be all of that. And I think of one particular situation where he really laid it out Um, in the Old Testament. So Moses wanted a fuller understanding of God. He wanted God to reveal himself in a very special way to Moses. And so God graciously did. He hid Moses in the cleft of the rock He covered Moses up. It says, you know, he covered him with his hand. I mean, you know, God doesn't have a hand, but you know, he just covered covered him up. And then he passed by Moses in a very special manifestation. He manifested himself in a special way to Moses. But as he was passing by, he declared truths about himself. Moses wanted a revelation of God. Moses was gonna get a revelation of God. And this is what God said about himself in Exodus 34, verses six and seven. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, he's using the, the, the divine name, the covenant name, Yahweh, Yahweh, Jehovah, Jehovah, whichever way it might be pronounced. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in loyal love and faithfulness keeping loyal love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But he by no means leaves the guilty unpunished, responding to the transgression of fathers by dealing with children and children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, obviously, I mean, the, those who wrote the confession used a lot of the same wording as was found in those verses. God is going before Moses, declaring and revealing himself. You know, if you wanna to get to know someone, you start to talk to them, you ask questions of them. And they reveal themselves to them. Moses asked God to reveal himself. This is what God said. He is merciful and he is just. He has to to punish sin because of his character, because he is just. He has to punish sin, but he's also willing to forgive. These are not contradictions. It is just a fuller picture of the wonder and glory of God. The Bible bears testimony about the greatness and the complexity of our creator. I mean, we, us little human beings cannot just put God in this box and think we can understand him. God has to reveal himself to us. And this is how he revealed himself to us. And both sides of the coin come perfectly together in our God. We might use the word holy. I mean, God is separate. He is different from anyone else. He he perfectly blends these wonderful attributes in this mosaic that can be too complex for our little human minds to process. And yet everything spoken here is true. And we rejoice in it. Yes, we rejoice obviously in his love and mercy, but we also rejoice in the fact that he is just. Because what kind of God would he be if he just let sin go without any sort of retribution. I mean, we all like to think that, well, I mean, it's okay for God to let our sin go. I mean, you know, I want God to wink at my sin, but then when someone sins against you, when you are wronged, and then you're wondering, well, God, why don't you do something about that? That's not the way it works. God is perfectly just, that means all sin is dealt with. Not just the sin that is committed against you, but the sin that you commit as well. You can't, you can't have it both ways. I wanna be able to sin in, in all the ways that I wanna be able to sin, but then I want God to zap that guy over there for the sin that he commits. That makes you the judge and you are not the judge. You know, the unbeliever does have a hard time meshing these things together, but we have a fuller revelation. And we're able to understand how God is able to be all of these things, How, how he's able to maintain his purity and his justice. I mean, we saw in Exodus, God punishes the guilty. God has to respond to transgression. God will not and cannot turn a blind eye to the sin of people because it goes against his character, it goes against his holy standard. And yet God is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy and full of loyal love, mercy. Um, the different verses will, or different translations will translate that differently. Okay, but how in the world can they coincide? How, how can God have that balance? God brought justice and love together at the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where the balance came. At the cross of Jesus Christ, God's love was displayed, but God's justice was displayed. His mercy was displayed, but His wrath was displayed displayed God came to the cross and kept true to himself he satisfied his own justice he satisfied his own wrath the sin that he hates he placed upon his son And through that, he is able to extend mercy and forgiveness. God's just wrath was satisfied because Jesus paid the cost. God's love for humanity was satisfied because Jesus' death gave the foundation and basis for the forgiveness of sins. God cannot, in his justice, just wink at sin, penalty had to be paid. And he paid it through Jesus Christ on the cross. God hates sin and yet grace is extended to the sinner. Now you, we, we might not be able to make full sense of these seemingly contradictory statements and you won't be able to without a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ and his cross and his resurrection. The balance of truth is testified throughout Scripture. We see this found throughout Scripture. God loved by satisfying his own justice. People think that God God's love means that he just gives a pass. Here, here's your hall pass for sin. Do, do whatever you want. But God can't do that, and so if God, you know, we a lot of people they'll put a lot of um, oh I don't conditions I guess on God's love. If God loved me, then He would fill in the blank. But this is the way that God displayed love. This is consistent throughout Scripture. When you read the New Testament, it talks about God's love, it is always tied to his work through Jesus Christ on the cross. God loved by sending Jesus. Does God love me? Yes, he sent Jesus. But all this is happening in my life, so I don't think God loves me. It it doesn't matter, God loved you. He sent Jesus for you. And so we look at, at, at an extended passage in 1 John. John is known as the apostle of love. And he gives this long testimony. And you know, because God loves, that it, it, it's displayed through us, but here's what he says about God's love. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been fathered by God and knows God. The person who does not love does not know God because God is love. By this, the love of God is revealed in us. Okay, how is God's love revealed? He just gives me a pass. He lets me do what I want. He makes my life easy. He makes sure that I'm healthy and wealthy. He makes me prosperous. That's how God loves me, right? No. By this, the love of God is revealed in us that God has sent his one and only son into the world so that we may live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Some some translations will will say the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's how God loved. Dear friends, if God loved us like that, If God so loved us, if he loved us like that, then we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God resides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we reside in God and he in us, in that he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God resides in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has in us. God is love. And the one who resides in love resides in God and God resides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because just as Jesus is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears punishment has not been perfected in love. We love because he loved us first. God extended his love towards sinners. And it changes our lives. How do we become people of love, it says by receiving the love that God has given us through Jesus Christ. You know, if, God, if God's version of love would be do whatever you want and I will make you healthy and wealthy and wise, would that make you a more loving person? No, it would make you a selfish jerk. And so it says here that when you know the love of God through Jesus Christ, then you truly know love. And it's because of the spirit within us that then we are able to truly love other people because we have received the true love of God through Jesus Christ. Why don't unbelievers have that love? Because they don't have Christ. God's love is connected to his work through Jesus Christ. We would not be able to love as we're called to love without this. Everything centers on Jesus Christ. God's love and justice are not both satisfied by a philosophy, because that's what a lot of people think. It's not uh, satisfied by an ethical system, although that's what a lot of people think. It's satisfied in the person of Jesus Christ. But let's make it personal. God loves you but you are a sinner and an object of his wrath because you're guilty before him, you broke the law. God is just, he has to punish lawbreakers. And all of us are lawbreakers. But as Paul declares, I mean it's a repeat of what we heard in John, Paul declares in Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how God demonstrated his love. This is his love, he satisfied his own justice. Paul says elsewhere, it's, you know, you're not saved, you don't receive this love so you can go on sinning but so you have a new life, you're given a new life. Do you have that new life or or, or do you live, well, I'm just a moral person. Well, yeah, great, whose morality though? If you're not living God's morality perfectly, you need a savior. And so you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you accept the gift by faith. I mean, the love of God, all of this, it comes to the most famous verse that there ever is, John 3, 16. Now I have here the New English translation, it says it a little bit differently, but I think, you know, it says it pretty properly because we're we're used to, you know, for God so loved the world, but that word so that is used there, it means this is the manner This is the way that God loved. So the New English translation says, for this is the way God loved the world. How did God love the world? He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's the way God loved. You know, if God loved me, he'd give me a new car. No, he gave his son. Trust me, his son is a whole lot more valuable than a new car. This is where justice and love, hatred of sin and compassion are able to coincide together. And so for us, it is a call to faith and belief and obedience in the gospel message. And it's a call for us to not not tolerate and, and, and not to seek, what's the word I'm looking for? But I'll, I'll say a more tolerable message, a watered down message. It's not a time for us to to look for the pop psychology and hey, let's, let's just form a moral, some sort of ethical system. This is a call to a faith in Jesus Christ that is then lived out and the world sees that but they see that they need a savior. God is just and God is love and it's all found in Jesus. That is the message we need to be proclaiming. That is the message that we live by and it's not just a matter of going to heaven. I mean, yeah, it is a matter of going to heaven because that's the only way to heaven, but it's the way we live our lives and the way that we approach our life in this world. Because if I am centered on, you know what, I I needed a savior and Jesus saved me, I know my need, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who know their need, guess what? I'm going to approach other people differently. I'm gonna approach this world differently, knowing that, you know what, I, I God so loved me. He sacrificed his son for me. So yeah, I'm gonna be a little bit more patient. I'm gonna be a little bit more kind. I'm gonna be a little bit more loving. Not to try to get to heaven, not to, but because I have received the greatest gift that there is in this world. And so I'm gonna approach things that way. I'm gonna approach things differently. That means it's not about me. It's not about what can I do for myself. It's about Him and everything that He has done for me. What can I do in gratefulness for that? For the non-Christian, it's a means of salvation. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. For the Christian, it is your way of life. It is this, the new life. We are not of this world. We have been bought with a price. And so now we live like it. So pray, pray for those who don't believe, that they would believe, so that they, know, they can know that their sins that God hates has been forgiven. And pray that we live a life of gratefulness because of, the love, because of what Christ has done for us. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.